So, I guess the best way to start this, this is going to be tough. So one of my first cases in Detroit, and I'm really green, you know, um, Scott Grable gave me this case, and I am really green at this point. And I was up before this judge at Frank Murphy. And in this particular judge's courtroom, whoever got there first had their case heard first. And I walk in, and I'm the first one there with my extern. I don't want to look bad in front of my extern. And I'm waiting to go first. And in walks this very loud, very pretty, very boisterous redhead. And she's looking at me as I'm standing in front of her in line. And she says, oh God, an out-of-county person is here. How great is this? She says, well, I guess you got here first, so you get to go first. And I said to her, do you want to go ahead of me? She goes, yeah, I do. And she throws her long red hair basically in my face and jumps in front of me in line. And, um, okay. So here she is. She goes first. And I knew who she was because she has this reputation, right? Um... I heard so many good things about her, and she's arguing like hell, and she's pounding her fist down, she's screaming, and she's pointing, and then it was my turn to go, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I gotta follow this, but okay, so I go up there, and I make this argument, and my case gets dismissed, and I walk outside, and my ex turn and my client, we're all hugging each other, taking Facebook selfies and high-fiving and all that happy horse And out comes this redhead. I said, oh, hey, you did great in there. She goes, okay, let me tell you something, buttercup. And she does this thing, like she's winding up her finger and points it at me. I want to tell you all the things you did wrong in there. And she's critiquing the hell out of me. Like, took the air out of my balloon on this big win. <laughs> and um, she goes, where are you from? I said, New Jersey. She goes, oh, so you're from New Jersey. That's a long trip for today. I said, well, no. I said, she goes, you know, I didn't ask for your life story. I asked where you were from. I could tell by your accent you weren't from around here. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So I'm from Ann Arbor. She says, well, I knew you weren't local. She says, all in all, nice job today. She flicks her hair and she leaves. I'm like, Jesus, that was weird. So I'm driving back to Ann Arbor and I'm thinking about all the things that this more seasoned lawyer told me I did wrong. That night I go on Facebook, I got a friend request from her. And she goes, hey, nice job today. And I'm like, you beat the hell out of me. And she was like, what are you talking about? And that is how I became friends with Danielle Cattery. <laughs> um, this will be tough. Because I learned this week that uh, Danielle was really sick. 
it's tough talking about it. And what really pisses me off is I didn't know she was sick. Danielle Cattaray and I, I guess we were like brother and sister. That's the best way of putting it. Because we're reviewing these text messages when I'm thinking about this live this morning. Um, I'm looking at the poking and the jabbing and so many funny things she said. She was so much smarter than me. She was such a better criminal defense lawyer. If you looked up criminal defense attorney in the dictionary, there should be a picture of Danielle Cattaray. She was fierce. She was special. Such a fighter. Always put her clients first. It wasn't a nine to five job for Danielle. Um, it was more than that to her. It was her passion. And I'm going over some texts today from her and looking over some emails and DMs. And she was funny. She was tough to deal with at times. Really tough to deal with. But she had a way of making you laugh. So looking over the Facebook messages today between Danny and I, I wonder, like, was I her friend or her punching bag? Because she had a way of ripping into you, unlike nobody else. We used to have these situations where we would argue with each other. And while we were arguing, we would stop talking for a few weeks. And then we would tax and be right back like nothing ever happened. There was something special about that. I'm just going to tell a few stories about that. And for those of you that know Danielle, you'll relate to this. For those that you don't know Danielle, it will probably make you think about people close in your world. During the Bobby Reyes case, um, Danny hit me up a lot. She was really very supportive. And things were, you know, during Bobby's tragedy, I'll call it, it just took a persona on itself. And I'm wearing a Cooley shirt today for irony because Danielle would like that. Because Danielle used to talk as much trash about Cooley as me, so I figured she'd appreciate the Cooley shirt. When I'm at your viewing and funeral this week, I will dress up like a lawyer. But today I just figured you'd appreciate the Cooley shirt and baseball cap. So you can inside joke with her and I. She used to mock people that would wear Cooley clothes. And I had like one Cooley shirt on, so I put it on. But during the Bobby Reyes case, um, there was an interview with WXYZ I did. And the journalist said to me, are you scared? Because U of M has all these lawyers and resources. Are you scared to go against the University of Michigan? And I said to, I think it was Jessica Kilpack or whatever, I said to the journalist, well, no. I grew up in the ghetto of Atlantic City, and I'm a criminal defense lawyer, so I'm not scared of U of M. And Danielle, that just warmed her heart so much. And she was, how Danielle would communicate with you is she would send these memes. And she would send memes like people like flexing their muscles and this and that. And her meme game was unmatched. And she was rooting for me every step of the way during Bobby's case. Um, yeah. She helped me get through that a lot. That was a tough time. 
we would just talk about work all the time, you know, and she had a way of understanding the criminal justice system, unlike anybody I ever met. And she would say to me, we'd be talking about a case, and I'd tell her my arguments, right? Then I would show her my motions, and she would show me her motions. She was a great motion writer. Fantastic motion writer. But she used to say to me, this is something I heard my whole career. She goes, my God, your motions suck, Bill. But you make such great oral arguments. She goes, why what you're saying can you not put on paper? I don't get it. She goes, I'm rooting for you. I hope you have help with that. <laughs> and, you know, while she was, like, kicking me at that point, if you know Danny, that really was a great compliment. She told me one time that she used to work for the railroad. She was an engineer before law school. She went to law school later in life. And she told me about K.C. Jones. But here was the thing about that. And this is how she was more cultured than me. She said to me one time, what do you think of K.C. Jones? Now, when she mentions K.C. Jones, I don't know she worked for the railroad at this point. So I said, K.C. Jones, I do know who that is. And she goes, really? You do? I'm like, yeah. He's an amazing basketball player and coach. He coached the Celtics in the 80s. He won three championships the Bird era. She goes, are you stupid? She goes, K.C. Jones from the railroad. Then she explained to me how she was this railroad person and all this other stuff. So we had this stupid debate going around about who really caused this major crash back in the day. And even though it was Danielle's topic, she got tired of talking about it with me. And she's like, you know what? We're changing the topic. And when Danielle used to say we're changing the topic, the topic was changed. She would control the conversation. We did a podcast together a while back. And the only thing I could think of is, if you ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, there's this one episode where Larry, David, and George are going to work on a project together. And they're arguing about who has to come to whose office. So Danielle and I were doing this podcast for a few weeks with Nate Frazier, and it was going pretty well. We'd go back and forth. Danielle became the center of attention. People start realizing real quick that she's smart. Smarter than me. And she says to me one day, Hey, why do I always have to drive to Ann Arbor? You should be coming to my office to do this podcast. And I said to her, well, it is my show. So you should come to Ann Arbor. I should have to drive to you. And we got into this whole spat about it. We didn't do the podcast anymore. And that was the end of that. And I figured it didn't mean much to her. And that was that. I went on and did my lives and podcasts. And she's doing her thing in Detroit. I'm talking to Sama yesterday. who's one of her best friends. And Sama tells me how much the podcast meant to her. And that just, it hurt learning that. I wish I would have made that drive to Detroit. Because we get great back and forth on our podcast. But my ego was out of control. And she's dictating things. And she always had to be in control of stuff. Okay, that was just Danny. And I'm like, well, I'm Bill Amadeo. I'm not driving to Detroit. Well, I'm Danielle Cataray, and I'm not coming to Ann Arbor. And we stopped talking for a few weeks. And that was the end of the podcast. Then a few weeks later, we're bitching about work again. Um, 
she hated Donald Trump with a passion. And she used to, like, she was so happy when Joe Biden won the election. Danielle was the ultimate liberal, okay? And she's screaming at me one day. You know, my politics like middle of the road. You know, the joke with me has always been, I'm too conservative for Washington, I'm too liberal for Shiawassee. I'm like middle of the road. And Danny says to me one day, in a screaming match, tell me one good thing Donald Trump ever did. And I told her my Donald Trump story. So, well, Donald Trump knew me as a poor kid in Jersey, and he told me to go to law school. And I understand you don't want to vote for him, and that's fine. I'm not supportive of many of the things he's done. I said, but I'm just telling you on a personal level, Donald Trump really has influenced me, and he encouraged me when I was a poor kid in the ghetto. And she said to me, okay, so I have two thoughts. One, that's a nice story, and I'll give you that. Number two, she goes, so he's the blame for why you're in this field. She has one more reason to hate Donald Trump. And you had to know, Danielle, Chris' politics were, <laughs> you could not have a political conversation with her. It was her way or the highway. One time, there was a prosecutor that we had both had a mutual problem with. And she keeps, she communicated memes quite often. And her mind was so fast, you know. Her mind was, like, quick. It was sharp. And she sent me these Tom Brady memes. And I said to her, you told me you weren't really a football fan. She goes, I'm not. So why do you keep sending me these Tom Brady memes? And she said to me, because that prosecutor hides evidence. This individual is a walking Brady violation. And it was things like that you had to try to keep up with Danny on. Um, when Jacob Wool hired me, hired Grable and myself, she hated, hates Jack Berkman and Jacob Wool. And she called me and she goes, oh my God, you're on this case. How wonderful. And she said to me, and I quote, is there a Republican asshole in the state that won't hire you when they have a problem? So I'm defending Jacob Wall. I said, listen, you may not like what he said, but he has a right to say it. And we're going back and forth. And, um, and I said, what's your problem? And she said, toughen up, buttercup. That was always her line to me, toughen up, buttercup. When she was sticking the knife in, she always to tell you to toughen up. Ironically, though, when you poked back at Danielle, she was extremely sensitive. And she explained to me one time, this is not a two-way street. I could say anything I need to say about you, but you're tough, so you can't say the same thing to me. Seemed fair. One time, Danielle was on at a Democrat meeting or something like that. And there was a group of lawyers in Detroit. And these lawyers were, like, throwing back their drinks. And a couple of them were talking shit about me. Oh, yeah, him and his Jersey accent. He thinks he's so goddamn important. He thinks he's this. He thinks he's that. And Danielle defended the hell out of me. A friend of mine, who probably should have been defending me, was sitting there watching. And Danielle was in their face. Don't you badmouth Bill. He's brilliant. He's a hard worker. I don't like that he's defending those people either. 
but he's a damn good lawyer. Don't ever badmouth Bill. So it gets back to me that she defended me in front of her group. One of her groups. And I call her and say, hey, Danny, thanks for defending me. And she goes, go kiss my ass. She goes, I'm pissed off you took that case. Don't thank me for anything. I'm disgusted with you right now. I said, but you defended me in front of your people. And she said, well, I'm not going to let them talk about you, but I'll tell you how the hell I feel. Don't you ever forget that. That was just Danielle. When I would take over cases from friends of hers, like they would hire me in, she always used to, like, stir it up a little bit. And then one day... <laughs> her way of communication was different. She would send me links to cases I had. Or quotes I would make in the paper or whatever. And she would just send a link without saying anything else. And I said to her, hey, thanks for reading. And she'd be like, what are you talking about? I didn't read your stuff. Like, she would send the link and then tell me how she didn't read the link. They'd be like, well, how would you know my name was even in there unless you had, like, on a Google alert? She goes, I don't have to talk to you about this. And then she would, like, disconnect the conversation. <laughs> one of my favorite stories about Danielle was she was out of county one day. She was in one of my counties. Because she was a Detroit girl. Through and through. And there was this girl that comes up to me in court. And Danielle, she navigates towards me. Because she wasn't in her comfort zone. She was in one of my comfort zones. And I'm telling other people, oh, here comes Danielle Cataray. She is a badass. Let me tell you about Danny. And she appreciates the compliments. But this girl comes up to me, and Danielle could not help herself. Like, she would make fun of people, either very over the top, or in such a brilliant manner they didn't pick up on it. And um, this girl comes up to me in court. She goes, oh my god, B! And she's all excited. I guess what she was doing there. She goes, oh, my boyfriend was charged with, like, attempted murder, and he didn't want you on his case... Because I always brag about you at home because you protected my brother. So, oh, and Danielle looks at this girl and she goes, your boyfriend sounds like a very intelligent individual. <laughs> she then told me, I find it fascinating that every pretty girl that failed out of high school 10 years ago seems to be in love with you and thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And she went on to tell me how my wife seems very intelligent, and she's not sure how I fooled Karen into marrying me. And I said, hey, are you saying I'm dumb? And she goes, oh my god, no, B! I would never do that, B! She couldn't stand people calling me B. And then she finally, she goes, okay, Bill, you're not dumb, are you happy? One time she called me about the Action Park, um, I guess on Netflix or something. An action park is in New Jersey. And she was pissed about this one case I was on. And apparently an action park, which we all went to as kids, but it was a pretty dangerous park. And all these rides were breaking and people were hitting their heads and stuff like that. She goes, hey, I was watching an action park documentary and knowing that you're from New Jersey, it makes sense now. You went on a lot of those rides as a child, didn't you? 
Uh, Danielle was terrified of COVID. Freaked out about COVID. She was a vegetarian. And she loved her cats more than anything. And she used to be really pissed off at me during COVID. She would say things like, I can't believe you're tagged in the certain courts right now when COVID's going on. And she'd be screaming at me. And it was weird because, you know, she knew me when I was an absolute nobody. So when I became somebody that people respected or whatever, she would still give me that like she knew me when. And she was... She had so much emotional currency with me. When uh, Kathy Murphy posted in the Frank Murphy webpage, or uh, Facebook page, I should say. Sorry, I'm not going to be good right now. That she was really sick. Gravely ill, and she was being taken to hospice. I just kind of um, lost it. And I emailed Kathy. Do they need money? What's going on with her cats? Because I know Danielle would be worried about her cats. Her cats were her world. And uh, her family's taking the cats. And I know those little fur balls are probably broken up right now like we all are. You know, in criminal defense, we have, we deal with brutality every day. We just do. And, uh, it's hard to make real friends. It's hard to let your guard down. Because we got to be tough all the time. And if we're not tough, we're weak and if we grew up poor we're always scared we're gonna be poor again and there's so much psychological bullshit that just goes into this game and she was one of those few people where uh, you could talk about work and she would get it and she cared she just did The criminal defense bar lost an amazing person. Every one of us that was lucky enough to know her lost somebody really special. Things won't be the same without Danielle. I want to miss you, Danny. Rest in peace, kid. The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio.
Okay, so it's been a crazy day. It's been a great day professionally. Um, thank you for some of the questions that came in. I'll address that. But this is exhaustion 1.0. Like if this was a college class, this would be the exhaustion part. I am so tired, guys. But I know Josh Strickland will kick my ass if I don't get some content done. And the Boogie Nights thing became this big controversy. Um, Sarah May, whoever that is, talked a lot of shit about Boogie Nights. And I've kind of made an issue to, you know, defend Boogie Nights. And tonight we're going to prosecute Boogie Nights based on the crimes that are present within the movie. Um, let me first thanks Mike Pacotney for that awesome Alan Trammell jersey. Don't know if you heard it the first time before we had to redo this thing, but that is one of the coolest gifts I've ever gotten. It's hanging in the office right now. Everybody's admiring that. That is one awesome jersey. Aaron Ibera is laughing already. I didn't even say anything funny yet. Jeez. Aaron, you, you wait. You wait, because we're going to dig in on this Boogie Night sh horror tonight. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit. On Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios, here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Okay, I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And tonight, we're going to talk about Boogie Nights. We're going to break it down piece by piece. Can you grab my glasses in the other room? I'm sorry. The live boy is going to grab my glasses because I want to look more intellectual. And I can't do that without the glasses. I mean, I look like a pale baseball player. Thanks. Good looking out. All right. Now we look intelligent. Phew. It's worried there for a minute. He was gone. What am I going to do without the glasses? I mean, seriously. Just have my baseball cap and hoodie on? My God. Anyway, sorry. So exhaustion has completely kicked in. Um, even though it was an awesome day in court, I have no energy left, as I said earlier. If I don't do some live content, Josh Strickland may kick me off Shiawassee Radio and maybe kick my ass. So, Josh, I am totally working right now. And I'm trying to do something different. And we don't know how this is going to go. Because we're not doing, like, a play-along thing. But I'm going to break down some parts of Boogie Nights. And if I was the prosecutor, I'm going to tell you how I would prosecute the individuals in this movie. We're going to break it down like scene by scene as much as I can, as much as the energy will kick in. And uh, we'll take it from there. So Boogie Nights, despite what Sarah May says, is one of the greatest films in the history of cinema. It's about the porn industry in the late 70s and early 80s. <laughs> That's a horrible segue, isn't it? It's not a porn movie. Okay, I guess it's kind of close. But it's not actually a porn movie. It's actually kind of like a documentary about what happened in the port industry in the 70s and 80s with Dirk Diggler, Eddie Adams, Brock Landers. That's all the same person, by the way. We'll get to him. Um, <laughs> Aaron Abair just did the whole hand-in-the-mouth thing. Aaron, stop. I'm trying to concentrate here. It's a serious stuff. We're talking Boogie Nights. My God, lack of professionalism sometimes. Jesus. So, we're going to start with the opening scene. In the opening scene, Jack and Amber walk in the Maurice's club. And Jack just had this big premiere, right? And Maurice is the owner of the club. And Maurice desperately wants to be a porn actor. Like, this is his dream, right? 
So he sees Jack. He screams, Jackie, Jack, Jackie, Jack, Jackie, Jack. He's all excited. And he goes, don't ever stay away from my club that long again. So Jack and Amber walk in. Now, here's the first question. If I was a prosecutor, when Maurice is screaming, Jackie, Jack, Jackie, Jack, what are you going to do? Well, I hit him with a noise pollution ticket. Here's why. I know Maurice has some shit going on in that club. And I got to get in there. So when he's screaming, Jackie, Jack, maybe he's disturbing somebody on the strip. I got to get into the club. Because in that club, as we'll get into, there's drugs, there's sex, there's all sorts of shit going on in that club. I got to get in there. I can't just go in there without some kind of premise. So when he approaches Jack and he's screaming, Jackie, Jack, I'm hitting him with the noise pollution ticket. I know it's a misdemeanor. I know we're staying down in district court, but I got to go there. <sighs> Sorry. So when you get into the club, right, here's Roller Girl, played by Heather Graham. And Roller Girl, she's going around. She never takes her roller skates off, even in sex scenes. She keeps her roller skates on. And, you know, we're going to learn soon enough that Roller Girl is going to hook up with a dishwasher. Who is Dirk? But we don't know it's Dirk yet. So when Roller Girl goes back in... And she's having sex with Eddie Adams. All right, so what we got now, guys, we got an indecent exposure. We got an aggravated indecent. If there's a prior crime, maybe put them on Sora. We just can't have these people having sex in public. So I'm going to hit them with that charge. Cool charge? It's fair, right? At least got probable cause to do it. Things really take off, guys, when Eddie meets Jack. Now, Jack Horner, he's one of the most unique people in cinema history. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is Jack Horner, played by Burt Reynolds, is he a savior? Is he a pedophile? Is he a human trafficker? What do you think? You go a lot of different ways, right? Jack sees Eddie. They make eye contact. So Jack goes to the back where Eddie's washing dishes. And he introduces himself. And Eddie says, Yes, they are going to put this on the radio. And Eddie says, Do you want a 5 or a 10? Jack goes, What do you mean? He goes, Well, if you want to see my c, it's $5. If you want me to m, it's $10. Wow. There's a solicitation charge right there. Maybe not in Washington, they don't charge for prostitution, but in some other counties. In Wayne County, that's a 45-dayer, man. You gotta get that down to a disorderly conduct and some community service. Anyway, neither here nor there. Jack is, like, stunned, right? Because you whacked off a couple times already. He goes, yeah, you can do it again. He goes, well, if you got 10 bucks. He goes, well, not right now. Yeah, we're racking up the aggravated indecent exposures here, man. This is just... This is not a rated G movie. We're going to... I mean, it's a lot of shit going on. Within the first 10 minutes of the movie, the 17-year-old dishwasher is offering to in front of guys for 10 bucks. And he's a roller girl. I mean, this guy's got a lot going on. And he took a bus like three hours to take this job. I mean, I see why he's taking the job. He's hooking up with chicks. He's making money on the side. He's got... He ain't going to make that kind of money in Torrance. 
which is where he came from. So we got a lot of issues here. I mean, there's CPS issues up the ass right now as far as Eddie's mom, but we'll, we'll get to her later. <sighs> Sorry, Eddie. I'm getting you with an aggravated indecent. And I'm going to try and make this a felony. And I hope you run the prelim, because if you run the prelim, I'm going to try to amend charges. All right. Jack comes back to pick Eddie up later in time. And he brings this 17-year-old home to have sex with Roller Girl in front of him. Now, as Jack is watching Roller Girl and Eddie hook up, he's smoking a cigar and he's just watching, kind of getting off, I guess. Whatever. All right, this is totally child porn in the making. But he didn't produce anything yet. He's just watching. In the meantime, Amber's getting high in the back. Amber's trying to call her ex to talk to her child while doing a line of coke. We're going to hit Amber with some serious CPS issues and some possession of cocaine charges. Um, just, it's a really bad situation. As entertaining as a movie it is, when you really break this shit, down like whoa what the hell's going on here again i mean i'd be prosecuting everybody if i was on the other side of me this is the only time i'll ever be a prosecutor so enjoy the moment eddie goes back home he has a fight with his mother and his mom is tearing down his property and he's screaming please don't be mean to me so here's the question now when mrs adams tears down eddie's posters and stuff are they her property or are they the property of Eddie? I think it's them DOP. We got a destruction of property if and only if the property actually belonged to Eddie. If it was the mother's property in the state of Michigan, I would invoke the legal impossibility argument to show that you cannot be charged with destroying your own property. Sadly, we're not really sure who purchased that property. So we may not be able to authorize charges on this one. And that's, you know, it's a shame because as a prosecutor wants to make a name for myself, I want to issue as many charges as possible. I don't know, we have the MDOP here, guys, so I'm going to have to pass on this one. By the way, you prosecutors at home, I want you to remember, it is not illegal not to issue charges. This leads us to the pool party. Wow. The pool party is like an array of criminal prosecution. The colonel brings a 15-year-old date to the pool party. Alright, he calls her his lady friend. Now, Michigan, the age of consent is 16. Um, unless there's a power dynamic, then it would be 18. That's a question for later, I guess. But, I mean, it's pretty clear that we're going to hit the Colonel with probably a CSC-3. I imagine the Colonel was hooking up with her. However, the young girl, she wants to use cocaine. So she asks Jack, is there any cocaine at this party? He says, I'm sure we could find you some. Is Jack aiding and abetting in the distribution of cocaine there? I mean, it's a possibility. She eventually finds somebody to do cocaine with. And she overdoses. And she has to get taken to the hospital. We're not sure if she died or not. Now, the guy that gave the cocaine to her, 
he's crying, saying this is twice in two days a girl overdosed on me. Now, I'm thinking felony murder. If you gave somebody drugs and they died, I'm going after you for felony murder, which would be the equivalent of first-degree murder. Even though there's no intent, I mean, felony murder is going to be a problem for this guy, if the girls died. Um, the colonel, being the advocate for advice that he is, he says to the guy, maybe you need to get some better sh**. He doesn't say, hey, this poor 50-year-old girl who I'm dating is dying. He's advising the porn actor to get better sh**. So you can tell there's a disconnect here. Perhaps that disconnect becomes even broader when the colonel gets introduced to Eddie. Jack brings Eddie up to the colonel, and the colonel says, I hear you got a giant And Eddie's just laughing, and he goes, can I see it? And Eddie goes, are you serious? And the colonel goes, please. So here's Eddie. He takes his pants off, and he's showing his penis to the colonel. Again! Indecent exposure all day long. What the hell are we doing, guys? It's really weird. I don't know. Amber's son is calling for Amber at the party. Maurice and Buck are trying to find her. They can't find her. I mean, Amber's got more CPS issues, like, racking up here. I mean, let me tell you. I know some DHHS workers, man, they be filing petitions all day long right now, so. Amber waves. It's not a good look, Am. You can't be using cocaine and making porn films while your children are looking for you. It's just not a good look. But we transition to the first porn shoot. Now, you got to remember something. Eddie is 17 years old. And they're having sex on the screen. And they're going to produce this film. We got some 20-year felonies going on here. This is distribution of child porn. 16 is the age of consent. It was the 5 or 10 discussion that came up, which was an aggravated indecent, by the way. We can't have that. I don't care how bad Dirk needs that $10. He cannot be doing that sh**. Just can't. You know? Come on, man. Give me in front of people for ten dollars that's just that's just messed up my god then he becomes his porn star and if you ask me jack and the colonel there's a conspiracy here for child porn i mean my god and we all know and when robertino joseph was a prosecutor in shiawassee he'd be hitting conspiracies for everything nobody challenged that it was weird but anyway I mean, I'm, I'm hitting with a conspiracy. I know if Robert was the prosecutor, he'd be going for a conspiracy. He just, he can't produce that. While the porn scenes are going on, while Eddie's becoming this big star, you see Scotty J just sitting in the back, like, having this arousal going on, and it's kind of a weird scene, but, you know, they, they're slapping each other five, we're seeing the porn awards come up, the second annual, and Kirk wins best and the colonel says that, and Kirk gives this moving speech, like he's saying, our movie's not just about sex, it's about relationships and putting people together, and that was emotional, you know, I mean, you see that the man was completely passionate about his craft. He's going to be 18 soon, we're not going to have any more child porn issues, let's be clear. 
things really take a turn in the film. New Year's Eve, 1979. So New Year's Eve, 1979, Floyd Gondoli walks in. Floyd Gondoli walks in with four teenagers. Says, meet boys, meet girls, and he, he's hooked up with the colonel. Floyd is in the porn industry himself. So now they're going to talk about mass production. What Floyd wants to do is start putting porn on tape. He was like an entrepreneur. And Jack's against this because Jack is like this big purist of film. So, Floyd and Jack are arguing this is clearly a conspiracy to distribute child porn. There's this one scene where it kind of breaks the tension a little bit. Floyd and Jack are arguing, right? And Floyd says to Jack, I'm a simple man. I like lollipops in my mouth and butter in my ass. And the colonel's laughing. I gotta admit, at this point, I'm a little uncomfortable. The whole butter in the ass thing, what the f*** was that? Butter in the ass? Not a crime, but that should be. That's just... I don't know. Sometimes I realize that I may be the normal one in situations, and this is one of those scenes like, holy sh**, my dysfunction might not be that bad. Jack leaves. Dirk is doing cocaine for the first time. This is going to lead down a real path. Obviously, Amber gives him the coke. We're probably going to get two possession charges out of this, maybe a use. I don't really see distribution for that little bit of cocaine, but we got a little bit of coke going on here. Um, that's when Scotty J tries to kiss Dirk when he shows him his new car. Looks like we got a misdemeanor assault going there. And, um, the crime aspect of Boogie Nights really takes a turn with Little Bill. Little Bill played by William Macy. Dude, this guy had a bad New Year's, alright? Now, Little Bill's wife was a porn actress. And she had been cheating on him. And he used to catch her cheating all the time. He'd walk in. She'd tell him to go in the living room while she's hooking up with some guy. Okay. So there's a few things that come to mind right now. Number one. All right. Little Bill married a porn actress. I'm not putting down porn actresses. But I can't imagine, you know, those relationships really are monogamous. They f*** people for a living, right? Okay. Little Bill has had his fill. He um he sees his wife in one of the bedrooms fing this guy. He goes out to the car. He puts his glass of champagne on top of the vehicle. He unlocks the car. He pulls out a gun, he loads it. Walks back into the house. He kills the wife kills her lover and eventually kills himself now if he didn't kill himself what we have here is definitely two counts of first degree murder um the question becomes is can we hit this guy with involuntary manslaughter charge i mean i would argue involuntary manslaughter he the passion that'd be my argument in this situation i'm sure the prosecutors out there would disagree with that you know there is there's a competency that has to be ordered here this guy's not right in the head I mean, and here's the thing about Little Bill. All right, and I like Little Bill. I feel bad for the guy. All right, I get it. His wife's fucking some loser in the bedroom. 
But dude, you're in the porn industry. There's gotta be other actors you could've hooked up with. Could've played the sympathy card. This poor guy had one of the worst New Year's you could possibly have. And this is a transition into the 80s. Todd Parker comes in. Todd Parker is going to be a pivotal character moving forward. And the 80s, we're going to see a downward spiral for many of the characters. And we turn to the early 80s. And Brock Landers is starring in a movie called Oral Magistry 3. In Oral Magistry 3, which is a porn film, he commits assault on a woman he's hooking up with on camera. We, I don't know if we have a domestic violence going on. I don't know if it's actually a dating relationship. But it's definitely um, an assault. At least misdemeanor assault and battery. You know, and I know people like Oral Magistry 3. I read on Google that Oral Magistry 2 was the best of the series. <laughs> it's been a long day. But, um, yeah, so Kirk is beating a woman on the screen that's messed up. We're going to hit him. We're going to try and hit him with a felony. You know, definitely. Um, he's going to argue legal impossibility because it's a film. It's a film within a film. I I'm charging the guy. You know what? Jesus. You know, Sammy Hood, I know Boogie Night sounds whacked. But have you ever watched the film? Here come the Boogie Night haters. Was waiting for this. I am so sick of people putting Boogie Nights down. I will defend Boogie Nights. You know I'm prosecuting it right now. God. Great film. Jack gets a call from the Colonel. And this is where things really take a horrible turn. The Colonel is locked up in jail. Turns out he's with a 15-year-old girl who was doing cocaine. And they found some child porn on him. They're going to get him for possession. Aggravated indecent. Um, they're going to get him for potentially felony murder if the poor kid died. Definitely a CSC3. And you know what, Sammy Hood? How dare you hate Boogie Nights? How many of these Boogie Nights haters are coming out? Where's Sarah May? I, and I know Sammy Hood. I don't know you, Sammy Hood. I'm sure you're a Shiawassee person. Did you people really not like Boogie Nights? I think it's as personal. That's right, Lindsay Fry. This is personal because you know I'm a fan of the film and they're going to attack this classic piece of cinema. That's okay. I'm going to continue. You're not getting me off my game tonight. It's been a long day, but I will not stand for hating Boogie Nights. Dirk is racking up the cocaine charges. And this leads to a disastrous studio time when he's trying to sing You've Got the Touch. Just doesn't work. I mean, there's enough possession charges to get Dirk for a half four. I mean, he's he's just got coke problems up all day, man. It's just not good. What happens next is Amber ends up in probate court. Her ex comes in and he tells the judge how he has not been following the judge's order. As somebody who does a little bit of abuse and neglect cases, I've seen these situations when orders are not filed. Um, her husband says that Amber's in the porn industry, and she's using cocaine. She goes, I'm not using cocaine, but she doesn't deny the porn. You see Amber crying. Um, I don't think the CPS hearing went well for her. And that's where we're at with that. 
Then we have our first taste of reality TV. And for you guys that are fans of the movie, this is when Jack decides to make television history. He's got Roller Girl in the car. They pick up this kid from college. And he wants to film the guy and Roller Girl hooking up in the limousine. And it doesn't work out well. Apparently the guy went to high school with Randy, who is Roller Girl's real name. Um, Roller Girl wants to stop. The guy says to Jack, your movies suck anymore anyway. Jack gets out of the car. He beats him nearly to death. This is an A-win, okay? Assault with intent to murder. I mean, Jack literally tried to kill this guy. And then while he's on the ground bleeding, Roller Girl gets out, and she starts kicking this guy with her roller skates. Well, there's a bunch of felonious assaults. Dirk is trying to make money, so he becomes a prostitute. This guy gives him some money to try to f*** off. Poor Dirk can't do it. He gets gang beaten. We got, we got a lot of problems, but we're going to hit a lot of uh, felonious assault charges across the board. Now the transition is going to come when Buck. Buck goes to Dunkin' Donuts or a donut store. Now, Buck is one of the nicest characters we've seen. Good guy, Don Chalite. He's playing in the film. He can't get a loan because he's a pornographer. Him and his pregnant wife, Jesse, they go to get some donuts. While getting the donuts, somebody comes to rob the donut store. Buck is f***ing terrified. The guy who's robbing the store has a customer who tries to shoot him. He gets struck. The guy that was the robber shoots accidentally at that point, I think. He strikes the guy behind the counter. So what do we got? Well, we got first-degree murder if these guys are alive. We got a self-defense of the hunter. We got a victim who's dead. But here's what Buck gets charged with, guys. All the money falls on the ground. It's not Buck's money. I'm sorry, Buck. Buck's a good guy. But Buck takes the money. He runs out. We got larceny inside a building. Then we have... Oh, my God. We got Rahad Jackson... Rhea Jackson is when Todd Parker and Dirk and Reed decide to rob this guy who's a big Coke guy. Big Coke person. They bring Coke, but it's baking soda. It's not really cocaine. We're going to get them for attempted distribution, but we can't actually get them for distribution because of the defense of legal impossibility. Rahad has this small Asian boy in there, and that's got to be child porn. He says his name is Cosmo. The kid looks like he's nine years old. He's throwing off these firecrackers. Rayha hits him on the ass. Weird shit going on here. Um, Todd decides to rob Rayhad. And, you know, a shootout occurs. Todd Park ends up getting killed. Rayhad's going to use the Castle Doctrine for self-defense. Um, Dirk gets shot at. You got the Retreat Doctrine going on, but... Yeah, there's some homicides going on here, and it's really sad. And Lindsay Fry says such a great movie. I know! And, um, that 
is the crimes of Boogie Nights. Are there any questions? The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.